All right, hopefully everybody's got their book, but you don't have your little outline yet, so I'm gonna have Kenny give these out. Titus chapter two, Titus chapter two. I just kind of want to introduce uh, this whole series of studies we're going to be going through um, with with Titus chapter two. We're going to be reading a couple verses out of there. You know, we live in a society today, and I think you would agree with this. That's continually changing. Uh, it doesn't stop, and and along with that, the role of of man <laughs> continues to change continues to be redefined uh, as far as what masculinity is. Um, in fact, men are really looking for something that they can hang on to because everything's changing so much. But basically, you just find dusty cobwebs out there or somebody's opinions, and there's nothing really authoritative that's being taught on things that we're going to be discussing in the coming months. And, and for, for centuries... Most, most of society actually had a definition for manhood. They could define it. It was kind of defined generally, you could say, handsome, provider, warrior, protector, decision maker. Pretty much across the board, people would agree with that. Uh, but now even that is changing. You can't use those terms. They're offensive. And today, you know, <laughs> in our society, a man must be good looking, but not aware of it. He must be intelligent, but not heady. He must be mechanical, but not grimy. He must be masculine, but not overmastering. Firm, but not inflexible. Self-assured, but not conceited. Loyal, but not patronizing. Ambition, ambitious, but not an alcohol workaholic. <laughs> Maybe they are an alcoholic if they work so much. But ambitious, but not a workaholic. Aggressive, but not pushy. Gentle, but not feminine knowledgeable but not a show-off, agreeable but not a yes-man, even-tempered but not boring, generous but not extravagant, relaxed but not lazy, courageous but not bullish. And when you think of that, I mean, just saying, reading that, it creates a tension in my, in my heart. Because who can accomplish that? But that's what's expected. And you add to that all the gender chaos that's going on that's being intentionally rewritten into anything and everything uh, most men are afraid even to broach this subject young men are confused because they're being told one thing and you know that's all they're hearing but here's the good news the good news is this christ is not confused god's word is not confused jesus christ made this world and he he made this, this world, created man, right? He created woman. And each one, just two sexes, male, female. And he designed them with specific, detailed design and purpose and role. And if you're here tonight and you've submitted your life to Christ, you're a Christian, then with that submission to Christ, with that salvation comes a submission to what? His word. We have to understand that. The Bible. And with that desire that He has put in your heart and in your life to obey Him, to be obedient, will come a pursuit of His will when it comes to topics like this. What's His design for men? What's His design for women? We should know this. 
but there's so much confusion today that's being pumped out everywhere. Nobody wants to talk about it. And what we need today is we need desperately to study Christ's original blueprint on this subject. And that is found in his word, dealing with the roles of men and the roles of women. Now, you may be here tonight saying, oh, I'm not confused on this, but maybe your kids are. Or maybe your grandkids are. Okay, or maybe your neighbors are. Today we have to know the Word of God, we have to love the Word of God, we have to obey the Word of God, and we, we have to pursue exactly what His Word tells us is His design, or guess what? We're going to be off-center. We're, we're not going to be on firm ground. Uh, we're going to be like everybody else, confused. So you can't really just merely embrace your own role. You can't merely just trust uh, and, and kind of live in this culture today. In fact, Christian women need to know what Christian men are expected to do. They should know this, but they don't. And Christian men need to know what Christian women are supposed to do. And we need to understand them both in order to actually experience what God's design for us is. That's so important for us. And so, as I said, he's published a, one for men, one for women. And I think we live in a day when we cannot any longer be silent on things like this. Um, we can't be indifferent. Uh, we can't just be the passive church that we've been any longer. Because our society, our culture's understanding of God's word and his truth and his design is gone. It's not even on the map for them. And therefore, the normal expectations of your children or your grandchildren is no longer there. And so we can't allow this just to occur in a vacuum. And so as we go through this study, I think we're going to learn a lot of practical things, uh, some that we can apply to our own lives, some maybe we apply to somebody else's lives. But the very character of God is at stake here. That's how important this is. And I don't think that we can just sit by and allow the, the, the liberal mindset today to dictate what the truth is. Men and women function the way they do because God is a triune God. Think about it. There's a oneness to God, and yet there's three distinct persons, right, in the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity. And therefore, the design of God in relationships and also in marriage, it affects all that because it's all designed around who he is, around what his character is, what his nature is. And so when you think of marriage, some of us here tonight are married. Um, marriage is one, yet in, in marriage we come to understand that there are, are not just two, but three distinct people for the Christian marriage. There's the man, the woman, and who? Christ. And Christ. And I think it's important that we understand that Jesus Christ for the Christian should really be the center point of our marriage. And even in Christian marriages today, I've seen where that's gone off the rails. Because, unfortunately, the husband loves the wife more than he loves Christ. And the wife loves the husband more than she loves Christ. And so they're focused on each other, and Christ gets left out in the corner. <laughs> and it's not going to work. That's not how God has designed it. 
And so there's a sense of husband and wife relationship even demonstrated for us in the New Testament between what Christ and the church, right? That, that's a demonstration. That's a picture of what Christian marriage should be like. And so God made man responsible to lead their homes, to lead the church. Men, that's what he calls us to do. And so goes our homes and so goes our churches as the leadership of the men take it. Um, Philip de Corsi said this. He says, in a day, I love this quote, in a day when boys act like girls and men act like boys and women act like men, we desperately need a biblical understanding and we have to keep pressing our children to understand the roles of men and women. Um, there are books that have been written on this. I just printed this out, but there's this one if you have grandkids or kids. Um, God Made Boys and Girls by Marty um, Machowski. And it's, it's helping children understand the gift of gender. It's not a bad thing to be a man. It's not a bad thing to be a woman. Uh, there are things to clarify early on in age. We need to do this with our kids and our grandkids to help them understand exactly what God designed them to be. And they're not going to get that message from the school. They're not going to get that message from the culture or the media. Uh, they're not going to get that message anywhere today unless we provide it from where? God's Word. That's what we have to do. Uh, that's where it comes from. And so the book we're going to be going through in, in the coming months is, was really written for every marriage of any age. It was written for fathers who maybe are discipling their sons or grandchildren, mothers who are discipling their daughters or granddaughters. Uh, it's written for singles. It's written for collegians. It's written for high school students. It's even written for ambitious junior hires. It's not a hard book to read, and it's very practical. And the whole goal is that we would fully embrace God's perfect design, the way he designed us for men and women at any age, in any culture, at any time in history. These things don't change. <laughs> they want us to believe they change. You know, if you stand up and say, well, men should be the, the leader of the home, well, that's old fashioned. Nobody believes that anymore. Come on, come out of the cave, you know. I mean, they mock that, but it's true. That's how God designed it. And when you break away from that, you're breaking away from God's perfect design for the family. And it transcends the culture because it's God's word. It's not something somebody made up. It's not pop psychology. It stands true for every generation. And so tonight we're just going to introduce this, but I want us to look at Titus chapter 2. And I just want to read the first eight verses basically because it gives us some some very good characteristics that a godly man should possess. And we're just going to go through one of them tonight. But follow along in your Bibles if you have them. And, and they're in, in chapter 2, and I want to start reading in verse 1. Uh, Paul is writing Titus here, his young, young gentleman. He says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, Sensible or self-controlled, it says in ESV. Sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. 
Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. Verse 6, likewise, urge the younger men to be sensible or self-controlled. Verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and what? Dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts as men to these truths. And Lord, really, uh, we look forward to getting to know each other better over the next several months as we go work our way through this book. And Lord, I know this is a, <clears throat> a commitment. I know that it takes time away from other things. Uh, but Lord, I, I thank you for these men who are willing to come out and, and to um, spend time in your word and, and really desire to, to grow together in Christ. And Lord, we pray for those who couldn't make it tonight. Oh Lord, you know the reason why, and we just pray that we would hopefully see them next month. And Lord, we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you see here in, in Titus 2, you have your outline there. There's just a real basic, quick outline of the first eight verses. He, he starts off there in verse 1, and he talks about teaching that accords with sound doctrine. And understand, the people that, that Paul is, is writing to here, the Cretans, basically, um, they were having a hard time in their Christian walk. They were having a hard time putting their beliefs into their behavior. There was a breakdown there somewhere. So they knew what they believed, but when it came to their behavior, there was a problem. And so there's a lot of talk about sound doctrine, not just doctrine, but sound doctrine, which means it's healthy. Okay. And then in verse two and three, he brings up some qualities, godly characteristics, qualities that senior adults, both men and women, should have down. He's writing to them, and he said, by this time, basically, you, are, you ought to already have this down. You, you should have these. Um, and, and we're going to be talking about, about these in the, in the coming months. Um, in verses 4 to 5, he calls on the older women to train the younger women as to their design. You know, what has God called them to do and called them to be? This is how it should function within the church. Um, and then in verses 6 to 8, it, it deals with God's character goals for men. And, and this is where we want to kind of draw down on tonight just one of these. Um, he calls Titus to, to pursue the same, the same role because Titus at this time is a young man. And you say, well, what constitutes a young man? Well, anything between 0 and 40. <laughs> okay, so some of you tonight are young men. Uh, some of us aren't any longer, young men. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. But first, verses 6 through 8 represent these male qualities, okay, for men that older gentlemen, mature seniors, should already have down, but they're also to have young men that they're encouraging to pursue these characteristics that they see in their lives. That's the goal here. And so these, these are, are qualities that when ladies are looking for a husband, this is what they should be looking for. 
Okay, not how tall, dark, and handsome he is, but do they have these qualities? And the same goes for the reverse. Okay, um, and so the, these, these are, are God's character goals for men. Well, what are they? I listed them there in your outline. Mentally, we're to be sensible or self-controlled. Visually, we should be example of good deeds. People should be able to see that in our lives. Theologically, uh, we're to have pure doctrine or sound doctrine. Socially, we're to be dignified. Verbally, we should be sound in speech. And tonight, we're just going to look at the first one. Okay, just for a couple minutes. Mentally, uh, men are to be sensible, or ESV says self-controlled. For a godly man, to be truly a godly man, the Christian male must be a thinking man. A thinking man. And why do I say that? Because you have to make decisions using a spirit-controlled mind. Now, there are times... Guys, when we lose our minds, are there not? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. There's times that I lose my mind. If I'm driving on the freeway, sometimes I just lose my mind. You know, I just can't take it anymore. So the, the Christian male must be a thinking man. You, you have to make decisions based on the Spirit of God controlling your mind. And there are times when we lose it. I, I read an illustration of a guy. He was at work. He took a tremendous blow to his head. They thought he was dead. They took him to the funeral home, put him in a casket. This guy wakes up the next morning in the funeral home. He's laying there in this nice box covered with felt and here, you know, velvet and all this stuff. And he's thinking, why am I in a casket? You know, maybe I died. But he says, if I'm dead, why do I have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> He was dazed. He was confused. He was in a complete state of disorientation and confusion. And you know what? Today, in our crazy society, man, we cannot be living by our feelings. We cannot be living in a state of disorientation or confusion. And this is what's happening. Um, young men are not to do that. Men are not to do that. We're not to live by our what? emotions. We're not to do that. Not that emotions are bad. Emotions are good. God gave us emotions, but we're not to live our lives by our emotions, but by our what? Our minds, our thinking. Allow the Spirit of God to control your mind. Young men are to exercise common sense in all areas of life. Men are to exercise common sense in all areas of life. Why? Because it's sensible to do so. This is what Paul is trying to communicate here. This word sensible or self-controlled, it comes from a, a Greek word meaning safe. So for neo is the, is the Greek word. And, and it means you can create safety in that area. It really means it's used in Scripture in different ways. It means sound judgment, common sense, you could say, self-control, as the ESV translates it. And, and these are all qualities that a godly man should be developed and be visible in their lives. It, it also has the reference of avoiding excesses. <laughs> Here we go. Avoiding excesses in every area of our lives, right? I mean, the, showing oneself to be self-restraining. You know, that, that's very important today. Uh, constantly in the exercise of, of self-government. 
You're not, you're not out of control as a godly man. You're what? You're under control. You're, you're under the Lord's control. You're under the Spirit's control. You're under the Word's direction because you put the Word as a priority in your life. Uh, sensibility is really not a very glamorous word or issue, but it's the stuff that the very nature of life is made out of. If you're not sensible, if you're not self-controlled in your dealings, your life is not going to go well. I guarantee it. It's what men desperately need. If someone could look up Proverbs 16.32, Proverbs 16.32, then I'll have you read that in a second, and somebody else can look up Titus chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. But when somebody gets Proverbs 16.32, just go ahead and read it out. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. All right. Pretty pretty simple verse, right? Slow to anger. If you're slow to anger, you're better than somebody who's mighty, it says. You're, you're better than someone who rules, or someone who rules the spirit, than he who can take over an entire city. Think about that. It's better to have that under control, what the Word of God is saying. It's better to have yourself under control, under the control of the Lord, under the control of the Spirit, than to do incredible things in life. You can do many incredible things in life and be out of control. <laughs> and that's never a good thing. Um, in fact, young men are not to be like Alexander the Great. We think of Alexander the Great. Wow, he conquered the world, everything, such a young age. Yeah, but most people don't realize he died at the age of 33 in a drunken stupor. <laughs> that doesn't end very well. Sure, could he conquer the world? He did. At least the history books tell us so. But he wasn't in control of what? His own self. See, sensibility insensibly saved men are to be in control of themselves. We have to be. And they're to live a life marked with common sense wisdom, you could say. You say, well, is that important? Yeah, it is important. How do I know it's important? Well, the Holy Spirit directed Paul to put it right here in the book for us. So if it was important for Paul and the Holy Spirit, I think it's important, should be important for us. I think sensibility is the number one character quality. Listen, it's a character quality. It's not the number one exhortation, but it's the number one character quality in the book of Titus. Self-control, sensibility. It's better to have that under control than to do great things. It's something that we need desperately in our society today. You see people all around us that are out of control. I mean, you go downtown Redwood City, you've got teenagers on bicycles. They're out of control. You know, they're just, it's crazy. Uh, society itself is out of control. Um, this is repeated five times to the elders, to the older men, to younger women, to young men, to all believers, that we should live sensibly. We should have ourselves under control in the midst of this unthinking generation. We're the ones that should stop and say, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. I'm not going to follow this crowd. I'm not going to say this. I'm not going to do this. Why? Because the Word of God tells me to do just the opposite. I mean, do you think we live in an unthinking generation? Yes. Totally. Just watch the news. Watch, watch politics. Watch any of that. I mean, don't watch it for very long. You'll get really depressed really quick. But you know what? 
There's no thinking going on anymore. Everybody's just accepting whatever's, it's all, it's all emotive, it's all manipulative. And that's the kind of culture that we actually live in today. And by the way, this is the kind of culture that Paul lived in, in Crete. It was so bad. Look at what he said. Somebody read for us Titus chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Titus 1, 12 to 14. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beings, lazy. lazy. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound, not devoting themselves to myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. I mean, do you hear what Paul is saying here? I mean, he's saying they live in a culture that's always lying. It's always deception everywhere you look. I mean, do we live in that kind of culture today? Yes. They lived in a culture that was full of lazy gluttons. They had no control over their appetites whatsoever. They, they were illustrated as evil beasts manifesting wild behavior. We see that all around us. They're paying attention, it says, to myths, things that aren't even true. Uh, they're, they're listening to human assertions over God's Word. So instead of being spiritually controlled, their lives are, and obediently believing and eating the Word of God, what are they doing? They're living by their feelings. They're living by their desires. They're living by their own thinking. We would say in our day, they're living by science, right? Or they're living by opinion. Or they're living by whatever the news says. Um, a sensible young man must first be in control of himself. This is what Paul wants us to see. Not just young men, men in general are to be in control of themselves in order to direct their own lives and also to lead others as God expects us to do as men. See, we think somehow leadership is an option. It's not. It's who we are. We are leaders. We are men. That's what we are called to do. Whether it's in our home, whether it's in the church, whether it's in our business, this is what we are called to do. You know, you cannot live your life like Christopher Columbus. Remember Christopher Columbus? When he first discovered America first, he didn't know where he was going. <laughs> he had no idea where he was going. Second, when he got there, he didn't know where he was. And thirdly, when he got back, he didn't know where he'd been. Think about it. We can't be that way. There's too much at stake. We gotta get beyond that. Just like an orderly businessman some of you own businesses, you work for businesses, you order your day. You put your calendar before you, you put things on your calendar. Or just like a construction worker, what does he do? He shows up the job site and he says, okay, uh, I think I'll just start building. No, he goes to the blueprints. He says, what do we got on today? What are we, what are we doing next? The phase of building. We got to follow the prints. We got to follow the blueprints. God's men, truly biblical men, will be those who sensibly plan Okay, and they, they sensibly follow through with their plans in order to accomplish God's will and God's word in their lives. That's what we're called to do as men. 
Well, practically, what does this mean? How does this relate to us? Well, it's pretty simple. It's not difficult. Um, to be sensible, to be self-controlled, you're looking for the lens of Scripture. You're looking to God's character to plan things like your prayer life, to plan your study of God's Word, to plan your time in God's Word, to plan who you're going to evangelize and when and how, to plan who you're going to be discipled, who you're going to disciple and who you're going to be discipled by. And what does that look like? You're going to plan who you're going to influence and who's going to influence you. You're going to plan what's best for your spouse. You're going to plan what's best for your kids to walk through what's most needed for them and, and plan sensibly because that's what leaders do. That's what men do. You're going to initiate it because if you don't, nobody will. In fact, the sensible single man has learned that relationships, and a lot of you can, who are single or have been single can attest to this, Relationships are not merely based on appearance. But upon what? Upon a character. Upon faithfulness. Upon things like reputation. Somebody look up Proverbs 22.1. Proverbs 22.1. When you find it, go ahead and just read it out. A good name is to be chosen rather than good, great riches and favor better than silver and Wow, a good name and what? Reputation. Okay, when you're, when you're looking for a life partner, a sensible young man searches for a woman who just looks pretty? No. Who loves Christ. Who loves Christ more than she ever would love him. They look for a woman who's proven in ministry. Why? So they can function within the context of the church because that is what God has called Christians to do. See, we, we bought into the lie that hey, we can just come to church and attend, and that's, you know, checking off. No. That's not good enough. It's definitely not good enough for men. We're called to serve. Continuously. Unyieldingly. Unending. Continual life of service. Well, how do I know that? Because that's what Christ did. Right? And he was God. But he served. He served. He served. And that's what we're called to do. A godly man looks for a woman who disciples others because really discipleship is kind of a form of parenting. And if you can find a woman who's discipling somebody and you see how she's discipling that person, guess what? You're getting a picture of how she'll be raising your kids. What a wonderful gift that is. Or how she's living out her role as a daughter because that will demonstrate that she can live out her role as your wife. A sensible man knows where he's going. He's made a plan. Um, I mean, we've all been there, but sometimes men just don't plan. We just don't plan enough. Um, which means when we don't plan, guess what? We're acting not sensibly. <laughs> That's for sure. Because, you know, we've heard this before. When you aim at nothing, guess what? You're going to hit it every time, right? Every single time. Uh, but when, you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan. Uh, Proverbs 15.22. Somebody look that up. Read that. 15.22. Proverbs 
Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. What an incredible verse. You know, how many times as a man have you refused counsel? I know I have. I don't need to talk to anybody. I'll figure this out myself. You know, three hours later, I'm pulling my hair out, which I don't have anywhere. And, you know, it's just crazy. All I do is make a phone call. Or, hey, Ken, help me with this. Or, no, nah, I'm going to do it. <laughs> See, without counsel, plans fail. But, but with many advisors, guess what? They succeed. You know, that goes for business, that goes for family, that goes for church. That goes for church. That's why Ken and I are constantly crying out, we need men to step up to the plate and give us a hand. You know, I mean, we just do. We need the counsel. We need the advisors. We need the help. And so a sensible young man makes goals that are measurable, right? You don't shoot for the moon. And sensible, achievable. Don't start, you know, I mean, start with five minutes in prayer every day. You know, you don't have to say, I'm going to be on my knees for an hour. You know, <laughs> that's probably not going to last a couple days. Okay, so start small. Start encouraging. Get up in the morning saying, well, I'm just going to encourage one person today. I'm going to make a phone call. I'm going to write a card. I'm going to do something to encourage whoever it is. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's somebody in the church. Um, specify certain things that are measurable because biblical men, godly men, God's design for men is that we would be, first of all, sensible. That's the first one, and we're going to end right there. Okay, so men, let's be sensible. Let's not live by our emotions. Let's, let's be focused on, are we in control? We think we are sometimes. But the more important thing is, is God in control? That's who should be in control of our lives, not even ourselves. And when that happens, guess what? Sometimes he takes you down paths that you don't want to go. And sometimes he, he takes you into an area that's a little uncomfortable. That's okay. That's okay because he knows what he's doing. Don't, don't push that away. Embrace it. I mean, because he'll show you. If you start down a path and, oh, I'm going to serve here, I'm going to do this, and, and it's not his plan, he'll let you know. <laughs> he'll, he'll, let, he'll be very clear about it. Okay? But just to sit on your hands and do absolutely nothing until you see the bright light and heaven break open in the middle of the night in your room or something, I mean, that's just crazy. It's very hard to steer. Have you ever tried to steer a car that's parked? You can't. It's not going anywhere, right? But when you move it, wow, it's a little easier. So we just need to be aware of that. And um, I think that a couple questions here I left for our just discussion around the table. So we'll take 10, 15 minutes. Um, what is the media and educational elite telling the public about what the role of man is supposed to be in our day? And, you know, we kind of take each one of these and we'll discuss them. What does the average unsaved good neighbor now think the role of man is supposed to be in our day? Or third, what does the poorly taught Christian think the role of man is supposed to be in our day? Three different people. I've did three different answers. Um, the fourth thing, des describe what you believe God's biblical design for man is to be in his marriage, in his home, in the church, and in the world. And like I said, these aren't, you know, 
there's no right or wrong answer here really, but I, I would just ask that you discuss these around your table and give yourself maybe uh, 10 minutes till eight o'clock, 8.05, and then um, you can take some prayer requests around your table and close in prayer and probably we'll get out here at 8.15 tonight. Okay. Let's, let's close the word of prayer and we'll just uh, ask God to bless our discussion time. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you do call us to be men and you have gifted us. You've called us. Our role is to be that of a leader. Now, we all lead differently and, and that's fine. We're all gifted in different ways. But Lord, we pray that we would not um, just bow down to the culture understanding of, of what a man is to be, but we, would, we, we, we look forward to getting to know what your word has to say so that we can just do a self-assessment to make sure that we're not buying into what they're selling us. But Lord, we're standing firmly upon your word. And so, Father, bless the discussion around the tables tonight in the prayer time. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.